And we're off. I know, I know. I didn't do an episode last week. I'm very sorry about that. But welcome back to another episode of As It Is. I am your host, Adam, and I'm here again with Dom. And uh, Dom, I just wanted to kind of sit around and talk shit for a little bit. So there's no topic today. This is just the shit talking episode. Um, hey, it's one of my fortes, bro. I'm with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was just telling you before we started that there's that new movie, Barbarian. Um, I got to be real, though, man. Uh, I do not do well with horror movies in theaters. Like, I can watch a horror movie in my house, no problem, on a TV. But there's something about the sound. Like, when you're in a movie theater and the sound is so fucking loud and you have that surround sound feeling where, like, if some if there's a sound behind you, it really sounds like it's coming from behind you, you know? Yeah. That just bugs, it bugs me the fuck out. Like, I can't handle that. Uh, but I go anyways and just torture myself. I mean, how are you with with horror movies or just, you know, movies in so general? I'm, I'm, I'm so-so. I'm like 50-50 on, on what you just said with the in-theater or at-home watching. Now, my anticipation builds up very heavily in the... Hello? Oh, shit. Did we just lose Dom? Dom... Come on now. We can't have technical difficulties this soon in the show. What's up? Maybe he got a phone call. I think he's doing, uh, he's tuning into us from Discord on his phone. So that might have been what happened. But, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, uh, things have been pretty chill with me. I have. You watch a fucking movie like that, bro. It's like crazy. Hey, Dom, you actually, um, you cut out for a while. Did it? Fuck. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can hear you now. But... Saying, um, mm -hmm. It's basically like I'm I'm kind of on both sides of the fence there with you on that. Uh, I like horror movies in theaters and at home, but the in theater definitely makes my anticipation build kind of quickly and real heavily just off the fact, like you just mentioned, the noise. I feel like noise makes up about 75% of scary movies, at least with the scary aspect of them. Because mm -hmm. you can, I, I mean, I, I've, I've done it myself. I've, I've watched a scary movie before, sound off, and sure, some visuals might make you get to thinking and having your ideas. But aside from that, man, the sound does it. Um, and yeah. it's, it kind of, kind of yeah. follows with the at home too. The only difference with the at home is my thoughts wander a little bit free roamed. Like if I'm watching certain types of scary movies, I get to thinking about shit, man. And honestly, like. I've watched movies, been at home, heard a noise that at the time seems unusual, but it's a normal noise out here at my house. And I'm like, man, what was yeah. that? Something in the movie? Right. Did, did, I, did I invite something in the house? What is this, bro? You know, I kind of like, <laughs> I, I, I scare myself a little bit. Yeah, nah, man, it's so real. Like you get so hyper aware during the time after you've seen a, a horror movie where you're just like looking at every corner, like fucking shadows take different shapes. You know, you're just super, I don't know, in tune with your own like adrenaline and heartbeat. Yeah. It's weird that that like two hours after you see a horror movie is a very weird like headspace to be in. But, you know, I try to keep it limited. Like I used to just go and see any movie that would come out uh, just to go do something. You know, I still like the yeah. experience of going to a movie theater, but 
I don't know. I saw too many horrible movies last year. I saw too much just disappointing shit, specifically like last year and in 2020, where I took a long ass break off of going to the movies and I would just, you know, do what everybody else does, watch shit off streaming. And uh, finally, you know, people were just telling me from back home in Maryland, they're like, you got to go see Barbarian. You got to go see Barbarian. So when I hear that much of a buzz, like from my friends who don't even really like watch movies like that, I'm like, all right, let me check this out. So I definitely next episode will give a good review on the movie. But um, while while we're on the subject, what for you, can you think off the top of your head, like what some of the scariest movies were you've seen? Oh, absolutely, bro. Um, It's very I'll tell you this. It was it's very age specific for me depending on when I've seen some of these movies, but I'll tell you this off the top of my head, what I can think of. Of course, this is probably going to be on most people's lists. The Exorcist. As a kid, I watched mm-hmm. that movie, bro. Nightmares for years, it felt like, off watching that, bro. Mm-hmm. I thought, with how realistic the movie was, even from the times it came out, it just did something to me, bro. It made me have this, this, this everlasting fear in my heart of just being possessed, demons, whatnot. Um, that's easily one. Honestly, I know now I'm I'm 27, about to be 28 soon. I was going to sound like a funny one, but again, as the age-specific thing, Child's Play was also one that just threw me and my brothers for a loop, man. It like at the time of when we seen that, we had stuffed animals, we had toys, we had the little animatronics, things that could talk at the press of a button. So to watch that same kind of movie, you know, a kid, his most favorite toy getting possessed mm-hmm. by a man it was like man what is this and uh, those two like i said we're at a younger age fast forward now yeah. that my age now the two i can think of off the top of my head bro that really really made me feel some type of way were hereditary and yeah um what was the other one i just had in my damn head bro damn it yeah hereditary is one of my favorite movies of that year bro oh bro i hereditary. Love it. Outside of it being a horror movie, it was just a fucking great movie. Like, yeah, it was just a long. great movie. Yeah, and uh, I watched it, like, three times. It's probably one of the only movies that I've, like, gone and researched, like, what is all the symbology and all that shit. But it's crazy how well they keep the information at the periphery. Like, it kind of yes. keeps you – you know how, like, you watch a typical, like, kind of satanic-themed horror movie, and there's always a scene where a guy's like, well – this is the load like they give you an entire download on like what's going on what everything means what the demon is all that stuff and you're Mm -hmm. just like okay well now i know all of this stuff and i guess now it's just going to be jump scares because the mystery is gone whereas with hereditary it was like you didn't know what the fuck was going on you just saw images not till the very end you just saw images you just saw like little signs and codes you you got you picked up on little things here and there, but it was really putting you in the seat of the characters, which any good horror movie should be doing that. And yeah, Hereditary really got got me fucking scared. And two, it was um it was a movie about a family too. Like it wasn't about you know I was watching with Ali. Uh, did you ever see Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D? Um, I did not. I couldn't even trace songs. Watch, yeah, okay, that's the one with trace songs. I haven't seen that Mm. one. I think the last one I seen was uh, I want to say like the 2005 or 2006 edition. I could be a couple years off with uh, Jordana Brewster. She Mm. was in that one. Oh, that one, that one did something to me too. It was, it was more or less like 
the scare the scare factor in that movie really for me was it wasn't like a lot of its counterparts if you would that came out around those times like your slashers your michael myers your uh friday the 13th your nightmare on elm street texas Chainsaw massacre kind of hit you a little differently because you're you know if you're going into the movie as a new fan or as somebody who's watched the older flicks you knew that this was an actual event that took place years ago so it was more scary in the sense of damn this like not that it's an often occurring thing but this could happen like this isn't no guy that's getting his head blown off coming back to life seven eight nine ten times it's like this was just a sick, mm-hmm. tormented family. You you got caught up, and they're here to stay. Yep. Kind of seems like. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. Yeah, it, it really does have that kind of uh, allure of it being based on true events. But the thing, though, that I was I was saying was like, you know, Hereditary has such serious uh, undertones. Like the the story itself was very serious. Whereas, you know, you watch these kind of teen slashers and they're very unserious. Like, mm-hmm. aside from the blood and guts, they're trying to be like almost like a campy comedy, you know? Yeah. And I got so used to seeing horror movies like that that I kind of forgot what was possible. And Hereditary kind of reminded you, like, no, this this genre can also be put into a very serious, mortal, like humanist kind of context. And I thought that was what really elevated uh, hereditary for me. And and also just like the shot composition, just uh, not to nerd out too much, but it's just not a, out, you know, yeah, in a gross way, it's a beautiful movie. Like it's beautifully shot and it really is immersive in the right way. Like it's not immersive in the way of like, oh, you're just, you know, literally neck deep in blood and guts. And there is enough, there is blood and guts towards the yeah. end, but like, it's more it's more just about like being there with the family being in that house which is very obviously like and i'd never seen a movie that was so blatant about okay we're shooting this on a sound stage you know like this is yeah. like once yeah. you're inside of the house this is clearly a sound stage but it's like it almost didn't matter because you have that context of it being a dollhouse because of the that earlier those earlier sort of uh establishing scenes where you find out what the what the wife does in the movie where she makes these like life miniatures and that kind of stays in the back of your head and when you're watching the movie and the the house kind of feels a little bit fake and set up it makes you feel like they're in this dollhouse and you're looking at a miniature of like real people and that kind of gives you that unsettling kind of uncanny valley sort of vibe so yeah there was just so many levels that that movie was working on that really brought it up to being a master, I consider it a masterpiece of, of horror, but, uh, g- but no, but going back to Trey songs on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. you know, like there's so many that, I mean, the slasher subgenre is so filled up and we've seen everything, but when you go back and when you watch certain slasher movies, they're actually very good time capsules for what the values and what was considered uh, hot or what was considered cool or what was considered scary at a particular time. Like they're almost like, if you really wanted to know where a culture was at, watch its latest slasher movie. Cause it will tell you what the sort of fears and dreams of a particular time period actually are. And I think every time a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie comes out and there was like three in the two thousands that came out, but each one, has their own little specific uh, kind of cultural 
lens that you can start to like be like, oh yeah, that was the time that people were like, the girls were like seen and they had like swoopy, you know, like the kind of, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, comb over kind of haircut. Mm-hmm. And then you see the next one and it's like, oh yeah, this was kind of like the Britney Spears generation. And then like the next one is like, oh yeah, like we were kind of like all dressing mad corny in like the mm-hmm. early 20s. You know? <laughs> Listening like, to it, this it, music, it, driving these cars, all that. Exactly. Like it, it really takes you to a specific time and place. And uh, even if the movies are bad, they somehow are like spot on culturally for what was important or valuable at that time. And, you know, it sucks that we can't really make horror movies now that don't have a component of technology or social media in them. You know, if you even when you watch like uh, Hereditary, like the communication platforms are like a way in which the the, the kid interacts with like his uh, his like girlfriend or the girl that he likes, and then like the text messages. Like when you watch movies prior to that, where it wasn't really about like we weren't so uh, involved with our right. cell phone. Right. You know what I mean? It it really is like it really shows you like wow we're past we're past the threshold point. Like we are now definitely in the, you know, cybernetic kind of like post-human world because in order to even tell a horror story, you got to have a scene where it shows people texting. Like yeah, that's just sure. a, like, the it's just beginning, you know? Yeah, whereas like you go back just 10 years ago, which isn't really that long. As we get older, we realize how short of a time 10 years is and you didn't have any of that. They still had cell phones though. That's the thing. They still had cell phones. They just weren't involved with them to the point where we are now. And um, when I really go back, like a movie that I'll watch at least once a year, and each time I watch it, it looks and feels older and more and more like a classic and more and more like a movie that's sort of stuck out of time. Like it could have been made, it could have taken place in the 70s and it could have been taken place in the early 2000s. You know, it's Jeepers Creepers, man. Oh, Jeepers Creepers sure. did such a good job of taking all the the first Jeepers Creepers took is such a great job of taking all the cultural stuff that we would associate with like a horror, a teen horror movie, moving all that out of the way. And it's just a, a brother and sister on a country road being chased by this like fucking otherworldly being. And because it's such a simple plot and such a simple movie, it really uh, it really makes it this sort of isolated incident in horror. Like it's not trying to to envelop itself in a time and a place. It's just what it is. So I think Jeepers Creepers is kind of the only exception to the what I was just talking about with like every slasher horror, teen horror having a cultural aspect to it. Like and, and it works, you know, it makes Jeepers Creepers all that more scary, you know? Yeah, they fit the mold perfectly with it too, because I mean I can I I'm I haven't I don't I can't watch it. Not I can't watch it. I don't watch it once a year, but that's definitely in the category of horror. That is definitely one that's like like put its stake in the ground with me. Like it's that's one that I would always refer to when I when I speak to people about horror movies just because like you were saying it it does everything perfect culturally that we wanted, but it was like it was like almost like culturally fresh while staying the same if that even makes sense because it's like you know you, you still got your certain setups your certain suspense within the movie that if you were an avid horror movie watcher you know you not you can predict what happens but you have an idea but then 
you pull, you know, you actually, you see, you see the monster, you see what he looks like, you see what he's after. And, and that's where the freshness comes. It wasn't just a, oh, he's coming, he's killing this guy at the house. Oh, you're going to go check on them at the house. Like you said, it followed mainly the brother and sister. Yeah, you get some more on and off screen deaths, but it's like all in all, they, they, they that is, you're really right with that. Cause I didn't, I didn't think about it. So you were just summarizing it the way you were like it, it perfect. It's like knocks it right out the park. It was released at a great time i think because like you said we all had these ideas of what horror movies were so this came out and it was like oh this is a little similar but it's new in the best ways possible that it could be everything was good with it so i'm i'm in agreement with that for sure yeah and and like what you were saying too is really it's it's really groundbreaking to show the monster and have the monster as just as much of a character like a character that you're interested in and not just like a force of nature, you know, not just like yeah. some unthinking, unfeeling thing that's coming to kill you. It's more of this very calculating, like almost puzzle solving kind of, and which that makes it so much more terrifying because you realize there's intelligence behind this thing. It may not be able to communicate with you, but it is very smart and it's going to find a way to get your ass. And like yeah. that, I think that I think is really what kept me up at night about Jeepers Creepers was that like, you know, to compare it to like Michael Myers, like, yeah, Michael Myers is a little smart. Yeah. Like if he's walking into a trap, he'll probably know, but he's just sort of like this torpedo. He's just going to keep coming towards you, you know? And he doesn't really, he's not really that crafty. He, I mean, he's crafty with finding, you know, ways to turn regular objects into weapons. But other than that, he's not really plotting, you know, he's just like, there's a person I'm going to go kill that person. Whereas like my job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Whereas like the creeper is, is genuinely obsessed with killing specific people. Like it will go so far. It will find so many different ways. It'll kill an entire police precinct of, uh, of cops just to get one person, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, for something like that, like nowhere is safe. And I think the movie did such a good job of keeping you so fucking terrified of just that thing, you know? Oh, for um, sure, bro. And it, it almost seemed like, and I, my one thing about that movie I really liked that I feel like they did very well with is like, wasn't there like a there was a uh, a time period or or there was a certain amount of time that had to go by every so often with yeah. the mon with with the the creeper? Like it wasn't just oh he he's awake and now he's back he's coming back for more. It was like if I'm not mistaken, it was like a I thought it was like a twenty eight year twenty three years. 23, yeah, 23 years. Yeah, and it was like it almost it almost made it feel like um it was almost like animalistic like in an instinctual way. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. so much as just this like demonic force like you were saying or the, or this this force of power that just every like was just there doing what it had to do. It was like it was literally this thing wakes up from its hibernation to come feed. It almost it's almost like it's got animal ties because even in our mm-hmm. real world and I think that's another aspect that makes it hit a little closer when being scary because it, it was like oh this thing rests for so long and then it's feeding time like if you're on its ground you're on its hunting you're on its hunting ground like you said nowhere is safe and it was like oh wow and, and i like that it didn't take like specifics to to get at it or specifics to to bring it down it was like they got their way of doing it and that's it like mm-hmm. there was probably multiple ways they could have got it done but they got it done the way they did towards the end of the movie and i think that also brings it in a little more because it's terrifying as strong as uh 
murder hungry that this thing was it was like oh you still see like i said it, it it's it almost comes off as an animal as much as it does mm-hmm. come off as a monster or an otherworldly being as some people might say he is so i think that mm-hmm. brings although it's obviously a movie and it's fake i think that it still brings a smaller a small sense of realism to the movie as well you know what i mean like yeah. just of the unknown things we're unaware of we haven't seen yet so i think that plays a very good role within that kind of movie too for that category yeah and it's like what if there was a super pre- like how would we really know if there was a super predator that woke up every 23 years and one of its methods to killing w- was like dressing like a human like just like some animals have camouflage some animals have you know uh they can mimic mating calls to get like you know their prey closer to them what if there was an animal that would just oh so the thing that i have to eat wears clothes and hats let me just wear clothes and hats so i can get close to it you know it's it's plausible uh, at least on that level so it's it really was scary in, in that sort of naturalistic sense too yeah that's mm-hmm. very true man but um yeah man i i used to be terrified of horror movies when i was a kid and i still kind of have like you know, residual, like there's certain things like Freddy Krueger or like even what you were saying about like Child's Play, uh, the the Chucky movies, like Chucky's a comedy. Like you watch it now as a, as an adult. Oh, I love them for that exact reason. I love those movies now as an adult. I laugh the whole way through. It's hilarious. But as a kid, there is nothing scary. Like, do you remember walking around in a mall and you just happen to like look into Spencer's gift and, and they'd be selling oh Chucky dolls? <laughs> Bro, me and my oh, brothers, yeah. you sit down. We wouldn't even walk in the store, bro. We would not fucking walk in there at all. I remember they had the, uh, I think it was the, the Bride of Chucky. Yeah, the Bride of Chucky is the one where Mm -hmm. he's got all the stitches in his face and he's all Mm stoned up. They had that exact doll at Hot Topic or Spencer's. And I was a little older at that time, don't get me wrong, but still it's like, I wasn't old enough to the point where it was like so easy to delete what wasn't real out of your head from thinking it was real. And I just, bro, I remember just being terrified. I like, I remember running out of the store seeing that thing. I'm like, get me out of here. I want to be a thousand feet within this thing's radius, bro. Leave me. There is nothing scarier than that. And you know what else was scary when you were a kid was walking through, if you were at a blockbusters or a Hollywood video, walking through the horror aisle and like looking at, the covers of horror movies like i remember like being so fucking careful when i would walk into like a a, a a blockbusters to make sure that i didn't accidentally start walking into the horror section because you just can't handle those pictures when you're a kid like just the adrenaline dumps i remember getting of just like accidentally turning and seeing like it you know or seeing like oh. some they're seeing some random fucking monster movie that I was never going to see, like Wishmaker or like something just so terrifying looking or Hellraiser when you're a kid and you're like, oh, my God, like it would just kill it would kill me going going. So there was always like I feel like at Blockbusters and stuff, there was always this like um, air of possible danger as a kid. Forever. Because there was. Things, yeah, there was things you could accidentally walk around and see that were just that could just fuck you up, man. And like that was the same with any DVD, any place that sold DVDs. Yo, you want to hear about? I don't know if they had this in Michigan, but you want to know like the scariest, like evilest uh, DVD store that was just not meant for kids. Oh, let's hear it, bro. Suncoast Video. Did you guys ever have Suncoast Videos? 
Oh man, I don't. It wasn't Suncoast, but I'm gonna before I explain what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna let you say yours to know if if I'm like within the ballpark because I had I you just sparked a memory in my head that was just so yeah. far back in my vault that I can't believe you just opened the door to it. But go ahead, let me let me hear what Suncoast was like first before I can get to going what I got to say. So Suncoast video actually had a great selection of anime, but aside from that. It was like black and and orange. Those were the color schemes. And wow. it was dark in there. It was dark in there and it was always smaller. Like a blockbuster was usually a typically a pretty big place. Like not huge, but you know, it took you a few minutes to walk around the whole store where Suncoast video was always a little bit smaller. And because it was smaller, they had the the you know the the racks that all the DVDs were on were a lot closer together. So you could go from action to horror in one step if you weren't careful so it was like set up to scare you because you might be i might be looking for you know shrek and i turn a corner and 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 the comedy section is the horror is right behind the comedy section and it would always be like the weirdest people working there like never friendly Everybody there was always kind of dark and morbid it was just a bad vibe if there is any place any like establishment that I could truly say was like demonic, like Suncoast video, bro, was had a bad gave you a bad feeling when you walked in there. Similar the kind of place where like if you said the right code word, they might like give you a snuff video or something yeah. crazy like that. Something you know? that nobody it just, else knows about here come in the back room with me. Yeah, it felt like that. And the people that worked there definitely fit that bill of like wait a second, like are y'all just selling regular movies in here? Is there something else? <laughs> you guys got a fucking underground torture chamber in here or something? Yeah, bro. It looked like it was already a torture chamber. Like it looked like all you had to do was just turn another corner or like go into a secret room. And there, like the 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 decorum and the color scheme already fit that. You know, it looked like an S and M. It felt like an S and M like dungeon almost. It was so weird, bro. Yeah, like it was probably yeah, like, it was like the perfect setup, bro. It was like. Like, what's a better setup than somewhere that looks so much like what it should be would stop you from questioning if it is because you're like, nah, they wouldn't give it away like this. It's like literally the perfect cover up, bro. That's what it sounds like to me, at least. Yeah, it was. And like, I remember so, you know, when blockbusters and stuff were going out of business and everything, the first the first uh, blockbuster type like video rental or video or DVD purchasing place that you saw disappear was Suncoast Video. I remember seeing that go just gone. Like I was like, "What? What money laundering scheme was that? Like, what yeah. not real? What what not real business was that just now? Like, <laughs> what was, was this cover up for, guys? Yeah, it was strange. It was a strange place. But yeah, what were you gonna say? So I was trying to remember the name of the place, and I cannot because I don't think it was a corporate. Like, it wasn't a corporate store or franchise, but we'll just call it a mom and pop video shop for now uh me and my brothers were going to spend the night at one of my uncle's houses and you know it was the weekend we had till sunday to be at his house so we stopped at one of these little video stores out by where he lives it was Mm -hmm. your typical at this time this was way more often you would see it especially as opposed to now because there's little to no video stores that i see that would fit this description but it was i remember seeing these all the time as a kid bro there used to always be these like little mom and pop video stores that would be connected to a gas station or like a convenience store or a liquor store not necessarily within the same building but 
on the same strip in the same lot. And I just remember, like, me and my brothers, we were faithful to family video. We had one four minutes away from the house. My mom took us there all the time. She used to rent movies from there. We'd get games, all this. But I just remember, like, you walk into this place, especially as a kid, we step in and it was like, like the air is different in there. It's not the same as your 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 local or your franchise stores that you always go to because it's like you said, the decorum is different. It's set up differently in these places. These places all have a specific way that they all are set up. You know, your movie stands here, your candy on this side, games in this corner, all this. This was kind of like you walk in this place, they got windows in the front. That's it. They got a good, I would say anywhere from six to eight different shelves these shelves were always taller than the other stores we were used to going to to fit everything mm-hmm. to fit all of their smaller inventory of movies slash games that they had at the time and i just remember like as small as the store was you almost felt like you were lost in that place not necessarily because of the size of it but because of what you were trying to look for it wasn't it yeah. wasn't sectioned off it wasn't categorized the same way as these places they kind of just had things here things here you know so going to look for things as a kid became a little intimidating because you're like man i'm not used to this it's not the same way that i'm i'm used to looking for these things and you know the condition of their movies aren't the same the story isn't up kept the same way so it's like it always would rub us a little different when we would go in these places because we're like man you know we're okay with this but this isn't what we're used to so yeah i'd Maybe not as eerie and as dark as your Suncoast was, but definitely there was there was a few places I remember stepping foot into that kind of like made me made me take a step back before walking in like, ah, what's going to happen in here? Am I going to get what I want? Am I going to be safe? All those types of things. So I definitely feel you on that. Yeah, man. And like what better place to like find a weird movie shop than Metro Detroit, you know, like Mm. this is is really the land or at least used to be the land of like mom and pop shops. Like there were just so much uh, independent businesses there used to be in this area. Right. So you can see the, you can see the, uh, the remnants of that. Like I forgot where I was. I think I was driving down, you know, how Ford road will take you all the way to Detroit if you just keep going. Mm Mm-hmm or it's M- M15 or something like that. When Once you go past Westland and you're going through like Romulus and you're going through these like, looks like they were bombed out, like Redford, like areas, you'll see like, you know, they still haven't taken the sign down, but it'll be like DVDs or it'll say like VHS, you know, painted on, like not even, yeah. a, not even, not even screen printed, like not even something where they actually made a sign. They just like painted it on a, on a piece of plywood and put it up. And I always wonder, like, what was their selection? Like, where, what movies were, was in that place, you know? And it, it opens up this whole extra world of, like, pre-internet when you really had to go find, go digging, you know, just like uh, people that, that spin vinyl, they have to crate dig for vinyl. They have to, like, go into a, a different record shop and go through every single one of their uh, record bins to find whatever record they're looking for. You had to do that with movies. You had to be like, all right. I'm trying to find, especially with like, um, especially with like foreign horror or just stuff that didn't get wide releases in the United States or just things that were off the beaten path. Like it was always something interesting to see, okay, beyond the, the typical, you know, big movies, what else does this store carry? And like, of course, a blockbuster, most blockbusters are going to carry the same things. 
but you go to these offshoot movie uh, stores and V and DVD rental places, it was anybody's guess, you know, what they had back there. And I think that, and, and just the, the way that you could talk to the people, if it wasn't Suncoast video, cause they wouldn't talk to you there, but if it was another place, you know, you could talk to the guy and he could tell you about certain movies from certain places and what, you know, what the best movie in this particular subgenre was. Like when you found a place like that, it was like striking gold, you know, when you found a real movie library, you know, instead of just a sort of a, a commercial warehouse for like the biggest films, you know, it was, yeah, you it was felt very more at home. Definitely felt more at yeah. home talking to those kind of people because it's like, you know, like, like you were saying to it at, at those times, it was it was pre-internet, pre-media, at least for us, of what we know it to be today. So it's like there wasn't this huge open space you could come to and have people with the same uh, topics of interest that you may have. So you may not even, at least then, you may not have been as quick to ask about a certain movie or where something else might have been located because you might have been like, oh, am I going to be judged for this? Are they going to think mm -hmm. I'm weirdo? At, at least in the franchise type places, whereas like you're saying... You find some of these places where, like those mom and pop shops, like I, I, when you were just saying that, it made me like spark a thought in my head. Like, yeah, you can go to these franchise places; they have a way larger selection. But it's like that's more so off of the the uh, list of movies that majority of these other franchises are going to be carrying. You know what I'm saying? It's like almost how a Dunkin' yeah. Donuts would work. All Dunkin' Donuts typically carry the same mm -hmm. products, whereas you go to these mom and pops, and it's like. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like this selection is almost has like an, an opinion from possibly the store manager, the owner of the location. So your interest could align more with some of these places because it was a more down to earth person. It was probably somebody that actually cared to be there more as opposed to this yeah. like, oh, I'm just here for my job. You know what I mean? So these guys might mm -hmm. bring in movies that 10 other people that they know have watched. But because it's so good in their head, hey, let's carry a few copies of this. Somebody asked, like, let's get it out to them. Let's explain to them what this is. So I do feel like the accessibility at the more name brand stores was a lot better. But at the same time, like you said, like almost digging for gold, it was almost like you were like on a treasure hunt. Like, okay, I know this is here. I know I, where I can find this, but where can I find something else? Where can I find something that's going to have me like, damn, I've never heard of this. What is this? I'm interested. And then boom. You, you, as far as we know, you might have found one of your favorite movies of all time just just by that. And like I said, well, man, it, it was a very different time for us. It really was a different time. Well, I'll tell you, man, the way I found Evangelion, it was at a blockbuster, but it was very interesting. Like, I was a big Gundam fan. Did I ever tell this story to you? Um, so, I don't think you have. I, I definitely knew Evangelion uh, is when you're your top, but I don't think I... I got the story of, of when you first, uh, how you found out about it or none of that. Yeah. So Neon Genesis Evangelion changed my life as a kid. Like I was a Dragon Ball Z, G Gundam, you know, whatever was on Toonami kind of kid. I didn't really think that much about anime as a genre. I didn't really even consider it something that like I was super into. It was just one of the many types of cartoons I'd watch. And uh, I started getting into Gundam pretty heavy. I had found, like, they had a couple of episodes of Gundam Wing. You know how these DVDs used to only have, like, three episodes on them. Mm -hmm. So, like, I remember I went to the Blockbusters. It's now a 24-hour fitness, but there, it was, it's this, there's the same building. There's the same building, like, right by my house on Cherry Hill. And uh, I, um, I went in there, and I'd finished watching the Gundam show, and I was like, damn, I hope there's more you know, giant robot or Gundam type shows. 
So I just see this thing that says Neon Genesis Evangelion and it has a giant robot on it. So I'm like, okay, dope. Like maybe this is like Gundam. And I watched like three random episodes, like not the first three episodes, just like episode like five, six, and seven, right? And I was just like, I'd never seen anything like it. It was so vibrant. I, it's crazy to me now when I watch the original Evangelion on Netflix and I see how dated it looks mm -hmm. because to me as a kid back then, it looked cutting fucking edge, bro. Like yes. the the colors were popping like you had like a red giant robot you had a purple giant robot you had a blue like it was just and, and then the characters and the technology and the world building and the fucking intro theme i was like i i mean it fried my fucking brain as a kid and i remember going back to the same video store like when i had to turn that one in and unfortunately the only other thing they had of evangelion was the end of evangelion movie and wow. I, watched, <laughs> I watched that way too young. I watched that, let me tell you, probably in like third or fourth grade. And I, I remember it like traumatizing me. Like it really put an impact on me that I don't think I recovered from for many, many years. What try, and I didn't even get through it. I remember getting up to like maybe 20 minutes in when the third impact starts. Have you seen any of Evangelion? I've, so... That was one of those shows that I only had access to through Tsunami at the time. Or was it on Tsunami? Mm. It, it did end up on, like, the they aired it at the end of Tsunami. Oh, like the Adult Swim broadcast? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was, like, bits and pieces here and there. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, at the time, outside of Gundam, I was, for whatever reason, I wasn't big on... The, the mech animes, if you categorize it by that, just because of the fact that as a kid, I wasn't too interested in the the science and the like the detail aspect of a lot of these animes yeah. that when I went back and watched, I'm like, damn, they really like at these times paid attention to these things just because as a kid, unless you were already into science like that or like that was your aspiring goal was to become a scientist. A lot of that stuff I could never grasp in my mind i was like okay well i know they're explaining something but i'm not understanding what any of it means because at the, you know it, although mm. cartoons look to be aimed towards kids a lot of the majority of these anime have very very adult themes to them so you can still get by as a kid but like i said at the, at the time bro it was just like it, it was a little too much for me to take in at the time but i did watch little bits and pieces of it and i won't lie it's been on my list of things to watch Man, you got to see that. Man. We may have to do a, a watch, uh, a, a post watch uh, podcast where we just talk about it. But oh, yeah, um, I'm down. Evangelion is like one of the most beaten to death. Like every fucking anime fan loves Evangelion and talks about it. And there's tons of podcasts and YouTube videos about it. But man, I can't get enough. So when I first watched End of Evangelion, I went online. And this is in what would had to have been 2004, 2005. I went online and was trying to find because I was too scared to watch the rest of the movie. Yeah. So I was trying to find out like, what was going on in that movie and what was going on in the show because I saw the first or I saw like episodes four, five, and six. And at that point in the show, it's still a campy, childish mecha anime. But I didn't know that the show gets progressively darker and more cerebral and less about the 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 Evangelions and more about what's going on in the in the minds and psyches of the main characters. So I missed that whole arc, and then I just jumped right to the end of Evangelion, which is takes place totally in the minds, or at least 
<clears throat> from the from the mental breakdown experiences of the main characters, um, aside from some of the action scenes in the very beginning. But I went online and this is before Google, bro. This is how this is how long ago this was, man. I was literally going to Windows Media Player and I would wow. just type in dude, people uh, these zoomers, man, these like, you know, post 2003 whatever people who like came online as human beings like in 2008, they don't know like what it was like trying to traverse, especially as a little kid, trying to traverse that like first level of the internet, you know, before everything was just so totally searchable and easy to find. So on Windows Media Player, the way it worked was if you typed in, you know, something you were searching, it would just pull up all the media that was on the internet that was, that had those search terms in them. So I would go on these weird like Japanese websites that would be translated, you know, because they would translate the website. Um, and I would go and try to like find it would get it would give me all this like the bonus content on the on the DVDs like it would it, I found I ran into uh, an English translated the official English translated screenplay for Evangelion so I read the whole screenplay man I I remember going on like seeing old chat rooms like mirrors of chat rooms and reading people's comments about it and just piecing together this like mystery of a story and I used to spend like nights long nights on my PSP because it had it was the first thing that had Wi-Fi you know this before phones had Wi-Fi on them so my PSP had Wi-Fi and I figured out how to connect it to the internet and I'd be on that PSP man till like two, three in the morning, just researching, just researching like so much about Evangelion and trying to understand it from this very limited perspective. And it probably, I didn't probably actually watch all of End of Evangelion again until high school. No, like I saw it at my friend Davin's house. Davin's been on the podcast. Shout out to Davin. Um, I had to have seen it with him when we were probably in sixth or seventh grade. So that's years later. You know, I saw it yeah. first, or first 20 minutes when I was in like fourth grade, researched it for three years and then watched it again. And, and it was still traumatizing. I still wasn't <laughs> ready for like the, just the, the amount of gore, the amount of psychological, like traumatic kind of image flashing. It was just on another level. It was not content, it was not media meant for kids. I don't know how it ended up as like, you know, this anime that's associated with kids shows. It's not for kids. It's such an adult show. And um, yeah, man, I mean, that all started from blockbusters, from going and, and renting a movie. It like, just that path that it took me on was incredible. But yeah, man. That's, yeah, see, it's, and I get it, bro. Trust me, man. Cause it's like, we, we all had our, our little foot in the door, kicking the door of what, what got us into it. And that's, it's crazy that you explaining how you found all that stuff, man. Cause like, to me at that time, like you said, with, with the difficulties that it came to find things on the internet, like it sounds like you fucking, you found a link to the dark web, bro. That's what it sounds like. You, you just found exactly <laughs> what you were looking for through all that hard work and looking into. It. And then it's like, Oh, I'm here. I'm finally here. And it's like, yeah. Bro, you feel like like I don't know, like you feel like almost like how an astrologist would feel to find like a new fucking star or a new planet, bro. You're like, I got it. This is exactly what the fuck oh, I'm looking man. for. Let's go. It was so gratifying, dude. It was so gratifying to like just be scouring these like bizarre 
early 2000s like websites that were in half Japanese, half English and like you didn't really know what you were clicking on and like it wasn't these like nice clean UIs that we have now these user interfaces that are like super intuitive and easy to use like everything on it just seemed like it was like almost keeping the information from you intentionally that's how i felt at least when i was a kid where everything was this little mystery like what is this website like who who is what is this online community that's just talking about like this one scene in and end of evangelion and uh and then oh and then i would so it would pull up all the media so that even included uh music so i heard the ost for the um the original soundtrack for um end of evangelion before i even finished the the movie so there's something there's nothing more mysterious than hearing like a japanese like you know uh ending theme song to a show you never even finished you know like you're yeah. just like oh what is this feeling this vibe i'm getting from this show uh that you know i'll never really understand what context it's in you know it, it was just it, it's so hard to describe man just the wonder and mystery of of that early time and dude using my psp like to do all of this and like having these websites that if you know sometimes they wouldn't load if they had cuz you know a, a psp didn't have quick time you couldn't watch a video on it you could only just see the images so i remember i would have to like i'd find a website and they'd be like oh here's a video like that shows you like the last 30 minutes of Evangelion. I couldn't click on that. So I'd have to just read the comments and see what people would put it together that way. Yeah. So it was crazy, man. It was crazy. But I do want to maybe shift gears a little bit here to the next segment. Cause this is a question I've never actually asked you. So we've been so crazy about talking about anime and, you know, fucking video games what where are you with rap man let's 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 get down to it rap first and foremost my number one genre of music i don't care what anybody has to say to me about it i don't care of others opinions i love it i've loved it since a kid it will always reign supreme for me with music and i was with i can't lie man i was i was one of those people for a long time i would say around my seventh to eighth grade year in school all the way throughout high school and even a few years out i was like mm. i was stuck on a certain subgenre of rap man i if, if you would today call it conscious rap i for whatever reason as a younger kid um would would just stick with that man like i, I wasn't really into too much of this if you would call it mumble rap or these these new songs this new wave of rap that we all seen hitting the scene really hard mm. but still kind of turning our blind eye to it for the longest time man and I, I was almost thinking like i was i felt like these old heads at the time man i was like man rap's in a bad state it's yeah. not progressing nothing's changing and then I, I had to stop because i realized i was allowing a lot of outside opinions to get into my head and kind of change and sway what i thought i did and didn't like so i stopped doing that started giving a lot of other shit a chance, started listening to the music more sonically, more for the sounds, the the tones, the harmonies, things like that. And fast forward, here I am now, bro. And I just, there's so much music that I like now. And I'm I'm so glad I, I brought myself from it, honestly, because I know for a fact that a lot of these artists that I've taken such a hard liking to these last, I would even go back as far to say the last 10 years, like, a lot of them became some of my favorites through and through. So it's like, I, I'm glad I, I took that step outside of my comfort zone to give it the chance. And I love it now, man. Like there's just, 
so many things still to this day like that are that are being done in rap that at that time i thought in my head like man there's only so far you can go with this and then here we are look how many new artists are out look at we're in the age of streaming look how many plays these songs are getting man and it's just i feel like there's no way in today's age that a lot of people don't like rap like they used to during those times man because it used to be a very a very shaded genre of music if you would it was always associated with violence um degrading women drugs money boasting cars all this but you know you, you come from a certain background or you grow up listening to certain things like that's that's what you want to hear from your music you know what i mean so i, I think it's in to me to, to summarize this i think right now rap i think it's my opinion it's in a good state right now I feel like there's so many different kinds of artists, so many different sounds with this stuff and all that. There's no way you cannot be a fan of it. It's like literally something for everybody within this one genre, which isn't too easy to say with a lot of music, if I may, if I may put that out. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely become the the genre like rap. Yes. So like we remember a time like a lot of young people don't remember this time, but like we remember a time where, you know, there was almost as much like alt rock on the radio or like fallout boy uh whatever else that you could hear in a mainstream setting um as much as there was rap like you had rap and it was still a major player it was still a huge genre within american culture and global culture but it had there were other things going on right mm -hmm. now you can't really say that now. Like rock is gone. Rock is somewhere. I mean, people. I I love. I love screamo and metal. I love shit like that. Yeah. Um. But to, for, I would be lying if I said, "Oh yeah, that's just as popular as it's not." It's just not. You know what you no. hear when you're going through the mall, when you're at a doctor's office, when you're anywhere where the top forty music is being played. It's 90% rap and then 10% pop. I mean, that's just what's going on. And even the pop music has features from rappers. Mm -hmm. So it's like everything has this injection of rap music inside of it. Whereas the, uh, the uh, effects of, you know, rock and alt and I guess what else was out there like in the early 2000s? Um, even like, country, like you remember- kind of heavy. Yeah, R&B was still going heavy, man. Like you had people who were really singing love songs and shit still in like from 2000 and probably stopped around 2010. And then from 2010, pretty much till now, you're only hearing rap. Like you'll have a, you'll have somebody singing a hook, right? You'll have an R&B artist still singing a hook, but you won't have a whole song that's dedicated to just somebody, a grown man or a group of men just singing and not trying to put raps into it. So it really is uh, something that's taken over everything. But I would kind of disagree with you to say that it's in a good state because, you know, you see, I had a friend of mine who, who showed me this. Since 2015, 27 rappers have died from either drug yeah. overdoses or being killed. 27. And these are not 27, like, whatever rappers or, like, B+. Plus. No, no, no. 27 multiple platinum recording artists who were signed to major labels, who were doing big things in the industry, have died at the peak of their careers from violence or drug use. And it's like, 
uh, I think it, they did some statistic where it was like, if you're a rapper, you have a 50% chance of dying a violent death, a 50% chance of dying of a violent death. That means on any given day, it's a 50, 50, whether you're going to make, you're going to get to the next day. And that's just insane. Like that. I I've never, I don't think there's ever been a entertainment phenomenon. Like if, if bus drivers had a 50% chance of getting shot, we would do something about it as a culture. Like, yeah. Something would be done. Rappers drop like flies and you still hear on the radio murder music going on. And, and I'm not trying to be old man here being all the rap, all that rap hip hop's killing people, but it is, man. It is. Like it, it is killing people. And it's like, you can say, oh, it's the culture that they came from. You could say all this stuff and all that stuff is partially true. But when you get right down to it, it's not the managers that are getting shot. It's not the fans that are getting shot. It's the rappers. It's the rappers that are getting targeted and shot because of their money, because of what they're representing, because of what they're rapping about, just to be quite frank, you know? Yeah, 100%. And, um, it's crazy because a lot of these guys, you know, they – it's there's a very – um personified role that I feel like a lot of these rappers play and they know that they can play to add to their success or their exposure. And and that's, to me, that's, I do agree with you also of it being bad because of what's happening in the actual scene of it at that point, because, you know, you got, you got these guys out here who you got, you got one of two things or one of two ways that, that they're actually portraying themselves. Right. They're either mm -hmm. really somebody who has done what they're talking about and now they're getting fame added on it and they've lived, like you were saying, they've lived a life so long that that's all they kind of know. Or you have the B side to it, which is a guy who maybe was around that kind of stuff or maybe just seen it every so often and they're playing a role almost as if, hey, I'm this big, bad, tough gangster. I rap about, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to send my guys after you. I'm going to put X amount of dollars on your head. I'm going to sell these bricks all these things and these guys aren't really doing those things and then either side of that gets caught up in it and you know it's it's, it's not easy to say who's who i can't tell you right now who i know for a 100 fact is down with what they're rapping about and isn't but all in all it's it's bad either way because like you said bro these are people losing their lives these are these are sons fathers these mm -hmm. are people who have helped their communities out done good things outside of what the media portrays them to be doing so i, I definitely agree with you on that it, in the sense of people losing their lives and the, the dangerous side of this it is bad it's in a terrible state because again bro nothing is being done about it at least not that worst thing there's there's no help programs there is no safety really not saying there has to be i think there should be there's no like safety guideline or there's no like handbook you can look into if you're a rapper and say oh this is how you avoid death no it's kind of like just a, a time and a place thing, unfortunately, which which is bad to say. But I'll tell you what is being done, Dom. They are the the federal government has mobilized itself, and th this young thug thing. I know you probably know about what happened with YSL yeah. and the young Rico charge. This young thug thing, man. If any rapper right now does not see that as the writing on the wall that the jig is fucking up, 
bro. Like you can no longer be talking about any of this shit in your raps. I don't care if it happened 10 years ago. I don't care if it, you know, I don't care if it's somebody, something your homie did and you're pretending you did it. They are going to use your lyrics against you. They are going to, it's been, the precedent has been set. They're going to wrap you up and that's just what's going to happen. And I think, unfortunately, that might be the only thing that's going to change this culture and turn it around from this like self-destructive genocidal murder music is literally the federal government getting involved and saying, hey, all these people that are um, you know, inciting violence through their lyrics, we're coming after you and we're actually going to, we're going to treat you like, like the mob. We're going to treat you like yeah. mobsters. We're going to put you in for double digits, every single one of you. And we don't care. We're going to, we don't care how, uh, um, peripheral or, or not that connected you are. If we can connect you in some way to somebody who was doing something, we're going to wrap you all up in a Rico charge. And I think um, this isn't the end. I think Young Thug was just their test guy. And I think it went very well for them. I think it sent the message across the water to record execs and to all the people who are in the music business to say, all right, you got you can go around and keep signing more gangbangers and more people that are out here actually committing crimes, but they're probably going to have a very short shelf life because we're going to follow them on tour. We're going to tap their phones and if we find that they are actually doing even 5% of what they're rapping about, you're going to lose that client. We're going to wrap them up. So, I think a lot of these uh record execs in the next you're going to find in the next 2 to 3 years, they're going to be looking for another kind of rapper. They're going to be yeah. moving away from, they're going to be moving away from these drill rappers because they're just too much of a liability and they're going to start trying to find other kinds of rappers. And I think that it, it sucks that we as a culture couldn't do that for ourselves, that it, someone else had to get involved to stop this, because I think it would have been a really great thing to see um, just people really wanting to hear a different sound and demanding that from their artists and their artists responding. Because to be honest, like, most of these rappers are just doing what their fans are responding to positively. Like it doesn't, if, if, if kids were, if, if everybody who was on Twitter right now tweeted to little baby, like we want to hear a rap where you talk about math. Like that's all we want to hear right now. We want to hear about math. He would rap about math. He's not 100%. like, Oh, he's not, Oh no, I got to talk about my gang. I got to talk about the street. Like, no, you don't. You're a multimillionaire. You're just doing what got you to be a multimillionaire. So if somehow the the content, uh, whatever people were looking for in the content, kind of the interest shifted, the rappers would shift along with it. But we never got that. We just got, and and I'm gonna get really, um, I'm gonna pinpoint exactly what was really happening with all this like in uh, uh, infatuation with gang and drill and and ops and murder, bro. It's look at when you see Playboy Cardi's. Um, fans and i'm not trying to get right i'm not trying to be mr racist i'm not trying to be right. <laughs> when you look at when you look out into that crowd of who is paying to go to rolling loud yeah there's there's black people in there but who's really there all white who's kids. really white kids and these white kids look at this rap gang uh death cult just like they would look at a fucking uh movie they, yep. they don't get it as real. They want the more and more extreme because that's just how that's just how content shifts. People want the the most extreme of anything in order to satiate, you know, whatever, whatever excitement they're getting out of it. Like, you know, if 
if if Playboy Cardi's not rapping about he's got he's you know got shooters and he's got thugs, they're gonna go to the guy who is because that's exciting to them. That's a thrill. These these people are thrilling to them, right? So they don't care if people are dying behind this shit. They don't yeah, care. Yeah, they just want the music. No, they don't give a fuck. Because to them, it's a movie. To them, it's fiction. They their their lives are not impacted by that. They go to Rolling Loud. They get in their you know uh, Range Rovers and Audi convertibles, and then they go back to their rich suburbs, and they have no connection to any of what's actually happening behind the rap to get to to get somebody like Playboy Cardi, to get somebody like Twenty One Savage. You know how many people? Do you know how bad a community has to be for someone like Twenty One Savage to exist? No, no uh, smoke against Twenty One Savage. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm saying, do you know how bad an environment has to be? to produce someone like that, like someone who raps about things like that, someone who is proud of the things that he's proud of in his rhymes, that like the world, the environment that has to exist to to support that is hell. It's a hellscape. So, so people would rather have those environments around producing entertaining artists for them to get thrills from than to support a better environment for better rappers to come out with better messages because that's not thrilling. So it shows you like the the money pipeline isn't it, like the influence, sorry, the influence pipeline, like what's actually influencing these rappers to rap the way they're rapping and to talk the way they're talking is not actually people from their own community. It might be to a certain extent, but what it really is once they get Hollywood, once they get triple platinum, once Sony RCA is representing them and not some, you know, promoter from their hood, the people who are really giving them that clout are people who have no connection to them and do not care about them at all. No, and so, that, that also creates the the uh, the second side to the rapper because like you were just saying, they the rappers are also I would I would assume they're also aware of this and that's where I feel like the the passion and the um the overall general uh attraction to wanting to be a rapper has died out because if you if you've watched within these last i would say seven to eight years a lot of these guys go look at a lot of these newer artists like interviews on some of these more old head or boomer prone radio station or uh interview podcast whatever you whatever you watch your interviews from you go watch a lot of these guys like starting in earlier interviews and it's like you could, if you go back and watch it now, maybe at the time it wasn't as apparent, but you go back and watch them now, a lot of these kids, a lot of these guys, they didn't care about where the the founding, like like the stepping stone of the genre of music that they are so heavily involved in even came from. And I, it's okay. I'm not saying, you know, oh, you have to follow this strict code, this strict rule of how you're supposed to come up as a rapper. I get it. Times change, people change, everything's changed now. But at the same time, there's this like, there's something missing from it that was always there that at the time it, it wasn't as much of this gang violence and killing going on. Like a lot of these kids just have this sense of not caring and these artists have the same sense. And then it kind of brings us, you now have this superstar who like you were saying is only making what the fans are telling them as opposed to, Hey, what's really on your mind? What have you really gone through in your life? Who are you as an artist, as opposed to this, this facade of what they are, if you would, it's just kind of like, Oh, I'm, I'm gonna yeah, make this one kind of feeling of music, and I'm gonna stick with this. Oh, I'm I'm gonna stay talking about this. I'm not gonna change this. I'm not gonna change too much of my sound. And these people eat it up, bro. They, they you can literally wash, rinse, recycle, 
a lot that's what a lot of these rappers do and, and they're mega stars off of it bro and it's nuts to me out these days it's honestly insane because at the time where people were more conscious of what they were rapping and having a little more substance in their music and in their messages it's like bro where, where has that gone bro like it's literally nowhere to be found anymore these guys aren't striving to make a difference in their sound and in their impact i feel like it's just they're kind of in the lane. They're on the same road, and they're staying there. They're not taking no different exits, no different detours. Let me stay right here. I'm cool with this. I'm I'm content with this. And it's 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 lowered the morale a little bit. I, I would say that for sure. It's definitely lowered it big time. I think you said something that was super important, and like just to break it down, from what I understood, you said was that because they don't have a connection to the original lineage of rap, like they're not actually interested in adding to the longer or bigger story of rap music or of hip hop culture, that that's why it stayed so stagnant over the last, you know, five to seven years, because they're not actually building on anything. They're literally just saying, what can get me out of the hood? Okay, this drill shit that Chief Keef invented. Okay, this shit will get me out of the hood. All right, I'm just going to rap this. I'm just going to do this and then get out of the hood and I'm going to keep doing it so I can stay out of the hood. And they're not actually like, and some of them are, some of them are actually fans of the genre and all that stuff, but a lot of them are just using it as a tool to get out from whatever situation that they're in. And they see that the people who, again, are not even connected to their culture um, uh, are responding to this kind of, you know, monotonous, very recyclable type of rap. They're going to just keep repeating it. They're going to rinse and repeat and that's why you see this stagnation because it's not rooted in anything. It doesn't come from anywhere besides just the pure uh, desire for making money and making, uh, uh, you know, radio hits or ma- not even radio hits, but just getting downloads and streams, like just getting views on YouTube. You look at a typical rap video, they all, a big rap video with 100 million views looks just like I Don't Like by Chief Keef. Every single one of them looks like that. Like, it's like we st- we froze in time and we're still like, they're just still doing the same dance over and over again because they're like, well, this is what got Chief Keef out of O-Block. So if I'm in my situation, I'm just going to do that exact formula and it works. Boom. Now I'm out of here. Now I have a hundred million views on YouTube. Now I'm making money and I'm going to just keep doing that. And they're not really looking at what is the art form that I'm doing. That's so far, far away from what they're, uh, concerned with, and it's just apparent in their in their finished product. And just to give, like, to make it more clear, to give an example of somebody who is connected to the culture and why they keep developing, whether you like their direction or not, is Kanye. Kanye, he'll he'll still rap with with you know the worst of them. He'll still make a song with Lil Pump. He'll still do you know dumb shit with with current rappers. Like he's not above that, but he's really a fan of rap music. Like he's really a fan. Of, of rap music. He he enjoys it and indulges in it just like a fan would indulge and enjoy it. He reveres other rappers as a fan would revere other rappers. So you see that he's always trying to add to, he's, he's adding pages in the storybook of rap. Whereas there are other people that, you know, just pick, take your pick. O3, Greedo, whatever, just just name whatever. P, somebody with three letters and, and then an adjective or three letters and a verb after their name, you know, they're not really interested in adding pages to the rap, to the story of rap. They're just trying to enrich themselves and get out of their situation, which listen, if that's like, I can't, I can't knock that. 
I can't knock, hey, I, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to live in the hood. I can't knock that. Like nobody wants that. That, But when they are glorifying their, their suffering to an audience that doesn't care about their suffering, I think ultimately they're the ones who are being like, yeah, they're making money and all that stuff. But ultimately it's them and people that look like them that are going to get hurt from playing that game. It's not going to be the people who are supporting them. It's, it's going to be them. And when you continuously drown yourself in negativity, negative shit's going to happen to you. Negative shit's yeah. going to come back and get you. It's just, it's just that simple. And then when they're, especially with the social media shit, when they're hyping up beefs and when you have people that want to see these rappers go head to head, it's like, how, how many of these rappers die because somebody was looking for clout? Because somebody Ooh, wanted to, <laughs> I mean, uh, like the cycle is is clear. It's obvious. It's just like this game will eat is actually eating the very rappers that are sustaining the game. Like it's it's a snake that's eating itself. You know that picture of a snake w- with a tail that's eating itself. It's yep. that's what's happening. And um, unfortunately, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's how this genre ends. Unfortunately. Whereas, you know, you had a lot of the rock stars, what ended rock was kind of the the over-touring and drug abuse and brand, bands breaking up and all that stuff. There was this sort of disintegration of rock music. What we're going to see with rap is this sort of self, uh, uh, ca- this cannibalism. We're going to see a cannibalistic uh, cycle, which we're in right now, that finally just sort of put ends it. You know, I think people are going to get so sick of seeing copies and clones of the same type of rap over and over again and tired of seeing these guys just die over and over again that we're just going to be like, all right, well, what's the next thing, you know? And whenever that, like right now, music is begging for something new to come out. Like I've never yeah. seen that. I've never, I've never heard of a time. I'm, you talk to old people, it, the music just kind of developed on its own. There was never really like a, a, a vacuum like there is right now. There's really a, a vacuum for like, th- something needs to fill this void that's been made by rap sort of starting to wither and cannibalize itself and rock being gone and electronic music. Yeah. I mean, people like electronic music, but I don't think it'll ever become what it is in Europe here in the United States. We just have too much. Um, I think our culture is, is too much more about performance than it is about just like listening to, you know, beats like, or listening yeah, to beat, like an percent. And that's why, yeah, I, I don't, I, I can't knock the electronic music scene. I know, you know, everybody likes what they like. Uh, I've even heard a little bit of some electronic that I'm I'm somewhat fond of, but you're right, man. It's it's realistically w- when we talk about music, music can range from a lot of different things. Music doesn't have to be a beat in lyrics. It doesn't have to fit that kind of mold that we've seen be set out. But I feel like the lyrics just it it, it brings a new life to the music. You know, you you can hear like jazz. I think jazz is one of the greatest genres of music of all time. Jazz is great. Jazz is the, the foundation that a lot of these other genres of music were founded on from the, the beats, the, the, the melody, not melodies, the harmonies in a lot of this music, but the lyrics bring something different to the table for anybody. I, I don't know anybody that likes electronic more than musical lyrics. So it's like, it, it's a very important part of substance when it comes to that music, man. It, it's, it's like, like like since we're on the topic of rap rap's substance was mainly not saying other genres of music can't fit this this same uh threshold but it's like the main thing about rap was you know especially at the time when it was coming out you know it's it's a black genre of music so 
you're getting an understanding, a, a very clear look into a black person's life at the time, because a lot of these rappers, these weren't businessmen at the time of, of rap's upbringing and uprising. These weren't these stockbrokers. They weren't these uh, kids living in suburban homes, living good lives, just rapping about things the what it is now. This was like literally the true and true all of what these guys were talking about. These were dudes who found an escape through rap in a good way it wasn't they, they, these were guys that were really gangbangers these these were guys who had to go sell drugs on the corner because just off the color of their skin or how they talked or how they looked they couldn't go get the best jobs at the time so to have strayed so far away from that it, it hurts it, it even like i said i have a, a wide selection of my music that i like now within rap it does hurt to see because it's kind of like Oh well, I'm here in I'm here in the door with this, and I don't give a fuck about where you guys came from. I don't give a fuck where it's going. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm making my money. I'm you know I'm fucking these girls. I'm in the best car. I got the best jewelry on, and it, it just it's strayed so far away, man. That it's like you you are right about that, bro. It's 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 eating itself alive because I'll be honest with you, bro. I couldn't tell you the last time where I was consistently for years satisfied with music, like. In the early 2000s, bro, like I, late 90s, early 2000s to me is the, is, is the golden age of rap. I know everybody says that. Everybody, most people would agree with that. Even people our age, people a little younger yeah. than us would probably still say that. But we haven't really struck a period of time like that yet. Like, yeah, maybe right now, due to the internet, due to media, we're aware of and have knowledge of so many different kinds of artists with so many different kinds of music. Sure, it can fit with a lot of other people, but it wasn't holding as well or as heavy to the ground as it did back in the day like bro i, I mean even still to this day i i can go listen to uh i like me and my brothers grew up listening to like a lot of 50 cent a lot of eminem ti ludicrous like these guys who were so good in their own way and were still so popular at that time that it's like you look at it now and it's like bro you can you can literally Look at fucking, not to, you know, no diss to her. Like, look at Doja Cat, bro. She got famous off of a song which would be considered a parody song. She's literally mimicking a cow. She's talking mm -hmm. about just the most senseless shit you could ever think of. And then you got so many people coming to her defense, calling her a rapper. She's a real rapper. She's this. Bro, if any rapper, any especially a female artist, you, you go throw a female artist in the 90s, like maybe even late 80s when the female rappers are big, you got them on a track saying some of the shit that she's saying, you're never, your next song is never getting a play from anybody. Whereas today it's like, oh, it's funny. Oh, she she's mm. smart for being able to turn a song into something like this. I'm sorry to say this. It's not smart, bro. A lot of this shit is done at the right time. It's the wrong thing done at the right time. You can just be mm. popular now and boom, now you have a career as one of the top selling artists. And it's like, what does that really say about the artists themselves and then their the reception, their their fans, bro? What what is it really saying about these people? It's like, are we just so utterly satisfied with the bare minimum now that we're giving anything the main stage? We're giving anything these top accolades, and it's like when you really sit back and dissect this shit, bro, you're like, you, you know, what do we have to change with this? And it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint, honestly. It really is because it's like there's there's no end to to the exception. I feel like with this day's generation of of what's coming out, 
like what's coming out and what's able to come out because like you said bro it's just you can literally get on a song you can talk about like like take juice world you this guy's on here literally telling his fans uh, you know i'm addicted to drugs i'm depressed with my life basically i want to kill myself bro give me more of this i need more of this music please keep coming out with this and, it, and it's unfair to that artist because this could truly be their passion and they're they're aware of which you know we want as fans not we as in me and you we as in your target audience and it's like they're they're looking past what you're talking about in your music and and that's that's where the problem stems from i feel like if you're looking past a dude on a song saying i just popped 20 zans i'm going yeah. crazy i i just i just fuck this bitch i just bought this off this money i'm rapping off coke it's like it's bad you got a guy talking about i just killed my ops i just spin the block on my ops and took out three of his homies you're like yeah that shit's hard but if you take a second to think about it you're like god damn this motherfucker just admitted to murder and i'm yeah. over here applauding it i would never do that in my everyday life if, I, if i'm walking to walmart i see a dude gun somebody down i'm not like hell yeah get your shit i'm like oh my god what the fuck just happened is this real and it's, and it's such a disassociation yeah it's such a disassociation right because like what other culture in history has ever applauded its own genocide? Like we are uh, literally when you're when you listen to Twenty One Savage or Old Young Thug or anything, it's like talking about mass murder, right? And it's like mm -hmm. we play that on the radio to a majority white country that could give a fuck about those people, and it's like you're literally making music that is glorifying mass death of a minority group that yes, they're the ones making the music, but it's like, what other culture would support that within itself? You know, nobody, we're the only right. African-Americans, only people that would do that to themselves. So it's like, what is it about us? And what is it about the greater American culture that supports that, that wants that? And what is the ultimate goal? You know, and I, that's when I get into my conspiracy shit. And maybe that's an episode. Oh, for, man. That's, I'm, that's I'm with you on that. I swear to God, bro. Right after you were done, right when you were gonna finish, that's what mm. just sparked my head. I'm like, like, not not to get too much into it, because like you said, we can do another episode. But the 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for, man? The the kind of like broadened uh look into a rapper's life of what you want to see. I feel mm. like that is pushed so heavily. Like 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 you said, these people don't care about the artists. These record executives the, these guys these these ceos of these companies like they're not dumb they know what people want to hear and they don't care where it comes from or what what's caused what reaction is followed afterwards get the shit out is basically all they feel like and that that plays a big role in you know what we're hearing and and what what we're thinking to hold as true and what we're aligning ourselves with although you may never be involved in these kind of things so i you're, you're definitely right it is a conspiracy road because it comes more than just what these rappers are wanting to make themselves. It's more about what they have to push, what they're told to make, this kind of little area that they stay within and don't really travel too far outside of. So you're right, bro. It's it's big conspiracy with me. Yeah, man. And I think maybe that's where we can uh, uh, save for the next episode and, and maybe do that, uh, just what our conspiracies on, on rap culture really are, because that's something I've always wanted to do a deep dive into. I've got a lot of theories, and I'm sure you do too. So I think we should save it for a, for another episode. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to end this one right here. Cause I think we're at, we're at an hour, but um, yeah, man, let's, let's definitely put this as a to be continued. Cause we got into a very good 
little space here. So I want to, I want to kind of, you know, put a bookmark in this and, and uh, yeah, come back to it, bro. Yeah. Save the anticipation for next episode. So if you guys like this, uh, please be sure to tune in the next episode and we're going to get full on conspiracy tinfoil hat with what's really going on. Cause I got a lot of theories that um, I think Dom, you might think are completely insane or you might also feel are a hundred percent true. So we'll, we'll see more than likely, bro. We're going to be on the same wavelength with that. I can already tell. All right. Dope. It was good to hear. All right, man. Well, this is the end of this episode. Thanks, guys. Uh,